Good morning, Fairhill Church. All right, it's good to be with you. It's good to be worshiping. Uh, this week we are, uh, once again, we're going to say this every week, so uh, yeah, buckle down. We are in Mark, uh, learning how to follow the king. We're learning how to follow the king. Now, uh, so far we haven't seen our king doing a lot yet. Uh, we've been kind of setting the stage, and now we have the, the king actively kind of out in the, in the world among the people, and as king, he is asserting his authority. He is asserting his authority as uh, this king who has come to rule. Now, uh, I feel like it's like, oh, like maybe like once a month I end up preaching on authority. Um, and I don't know if you guys like that very much, but it, it, is, but it is part of the, the word, and it's, a, it's an important part of it. And as I, I think about, okay, how do, how do we receive authority? Um, we wrestle with it. Because we have, we've received authorities that are not always uh, the authorities that we want them to be, or they don't, don't utilize their authority the way we expect them to. And we want power, and we want independence, and we want to say. And so this topic, while crucial to our relationship between God uh, it's a difficult one. And so as we look at the authority of Jesus, I, I hope that we might receive this authority with joy, that we would see how, uh, how he uses his authority and how he establishes it and why and, and to what end, and that we might ultimately enjoy Jesus and love him and delight in him and receive the authority that he has um, with open arms. So with that, we're going to look at Mark 1, verses 21 through 34. Mark 1, verses 31 through, uh, 21 through 34. Let's read. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they are all amazed. So they question among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told, her about, told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand, and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that 
you have great authority, that you are the ruler of the heavens and the earth. And we thank you that you sent Jesus down with authority to, to teach and to deliver us out of suffering. Father, we are astounded that you would use your authority for such as us, the sinners that we are, that you would use it to, to suffer yourself. But Father, we ask that in that authority as we see it and we delight in it, we'd all the more uh, delight in lifting you up in following you in receiving you as the authority that you are. So Father, would you shape our hearts? Would you help us to delight in who you are and enjoy what you, uh, what you say to us even now? Would you fill us with your spirit that we may understand, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, first of all, Jesus comes and he teaches with authority, verse 21. They went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. All right, as much as we don't like authority or we kind of balk against it, uh, it's nice to have a teacher who has authority. All right, nothing worse than the teacher who doesn't know what they're doing, doesn't know what they're saying. You can't trust them. You don't know if, if they're just making this up. They have no clear knowledge. All right, this is the nice thing about Jesus is he comes and he teaches and he clearly has a new teaching and an authoritative teaching. Now, Mark is kind of vague here and he says, you know, it's, it's, just, it's different than that of the scribes. And he doesn't actually say what Jesus' teaching is. So uh, went through, went through Mark and looked at some of the hallmarks of Jesus' teaching. And all right, how, in what sense was Jesus' teaching authoritative over and against that of the scribes? And I think we have kind of three areas here that really help us. First of all, we see the source that Jesus takes versus that of the, the, uh, that of the scribes. So when the, the scribes spoke they started to abandon the scriptures. Not that they would say that that's what they were doing, but all of this, all the scripture was starting to get bogged down by tradition upon tradition upon tradition. And they weren't actually looking at the scriptures. They were looking at things like the Talmud, the, the lists of all of the rabbinical teachings and all of the, the side laws and wise teachings and opinions of men and ultimately, what are they doing in their teaching? They were just kind of balancing all of these opinions against one another and reconciling them all together and ultimately saying nothing. Basically just throwing out as many opinions as they could, traditions of men. It had nothing to really, really stand on. And that's where Jesus comes. And what does Jesus do? Remarkably, we'd expect him and say, you know, he, he just always just sits on his own authority. No. More often than not, he points people back to the scriptures. But he treats them as they really are. He lets them have their full weight. And so when he talks about a commandment, he gives it its, its full breadth and depth. 
He doesn't couch it and say, you know, there's a caveat here, and you don't really have to do this part, and, you know, that part's too hard. No, he lays it all out before them and says, you know what? Yes, there's adultery. There's also lust. He says there's, there's murder. There's also anger behind that. Yes, I want you to give everything to the poor. I want, I want your hearts. God wants your hearts. He doesn't want your hypocritical or heartless sacrifices. And with that, he has great authority because he is not resting upon the opinions of men. He is giving the, the real weight of God's word. What's the source of his authority? And then we see, okay, what's the goal? What's the goal? Jesus' goal is to give the truth. To give the truth. Versus the scribes, what are they trying to give? They're trying to give what will please the ears of men. Men and women, what they can handle, what they can, they can swallow. So the scribes, they, they have this kind of fundamental idea that their goal is to help people by the law become righteous. So that they would feel good about their performance before God. And so, that's why they came up with all these traditions, because the law was too hard. It was too hard, and it would leave people hopeless. And so they said, well, you know, we'll, we'll, give, we'll give more and more laws and stack them on top of each other so you would never even get close to breaking a law. And even if you wanted to, there'd be so many systems in place and layers of guilt and shame and people watching over you that you'd never actually fall into sin. That was the idea. Because righteousness was not going to be found anywhere but in performance. And so they're giving that to people. Now, what happens, what does it look like when you're using all of these ticky-tack little rules to try to create righteousness and create this, uh, this behavior that you'd like to see? I think uh, probably the best example right now is when you see someone talk about all the rules regarding coronavirus. All right, hey, you've seen this, and it's, okay, like, go, go, don't go out unless you have to go out. But if you go out, have a good reason. But don't see anyone unless you need to see the person. And it's just like, and unless they need help. But if they need help, they're probably vulnerable, so probably don't go to them. And it just, uh, and it just starts this layer on layer and layer of just goofiness because what are they trying to do? It's not that they're trying to do something bad. They're just going around the wrong methods. You can't. You can't manage people's lives with laws. And, and there's a million caveats and there's a million layers of these things. What does Jesus come and say? He says things like, you know what? I think, I think you would say this when it comes to coronavirus. Uh, love people more than you love yourself. And don't be selfish. And be wise. And glorify God in the way you respond. Now, what is that? That's not, that's not just, okay, I, how many boxes can I check off with, with what org chart? You know, it cuts right to the heart and says, you know what, am I fundamentally trying to love people in the midst of this? Am I trying to glorify God in the midst of this? Or am I trying to get away with things? Am I trying to, to hide 
because that's one of what I wanted to do anyway? Am I trying to kind of push the boundaries because I don't really care? That's the difference between the authority of Jesus and the authority of these scribes. And I think we see another aspect of this. Jesus isn't a people pleaser because uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't need to prove his righteousness to anyone. And we look at the scribes, and the scribes, they can really only teach with authority to the extent that they have obeyed. And so they kind of hit this glass ceiling of righteousness, and they say, you know what, uh, We'll, we'll stop here, and this amount of performance is okay because that's as much as we can do. And we have to keep ourselves in authority, so we basically have to give a pass to a certain amount of unholiness, and we just kind of overlook it. And they have to make sure that they don't offend anyone because they want to make sure they stay in power. An example of this... Uh, So they go and they, uh, Jesus comes to them and he says, well, they, they, they ask Jesus, okay, how, do you, how do you claim to have all this authority? And he says, you know, I'll ask you a question. If you can answer your question, I'll tell you. And he says, when John the Baptist came, did he come from man or did he come from God? And they're reasoning with him and they're saying, well, you know what, if, if he came from God, then, then Jesus is going to accuse us of not listening to God. And if he came from man, then everyone will get mad at us and they'll kick us out of our our spot of authority. Now, what's actually happening there? They're not looking for the truth. They're not looking for what is true that would actually condemn them. No, they don't care about the truth. They care about where they stand. And that's where Jesus, Jesus cares about the truth so much that he is, he is taken off. He's taken out. He loses the authority. He loses the ability to speak because people hate what he has to say. But he never has to. He never hits the glass ceiling. He can go above and beyond because he is perfect. And he can give the full law, the full weight of it, and utterly decimate us because it's the truth. Now, one last thing that characterizes Jesus' authority here is the person, the person behind it. And that's where Jesus' favorite teaching is to rail against the, the ridiculous Pharisees who are trying to build themselves up as an authority. And he says, you know what? You're hypocrites. You don't have any great righteousness of your own. Why are you trying to, to say, hey, be like me? No, don't be like them. But then Jesus comes and he says, you know what? I am I'm king. I have built a kingdom. Come and be part of it. And yes, you are great sinners. You are dead in your transgressions. You are dead in heart. You are hypocrites. You are sinners. But I'm savior. That's where Jesus can be as honest as he is because... He doesn't give people no, uh, he doesn't leave them in despair and hopelessness. He gives them the full weight of the truth, and he says, yes, but the, but the ultimate truth is that I have come to die, I have come to save. I have come to establish a kingdom 
that isn't about your righteousness, it's about mine. And how do the people receive that? People receive that with delight. That there is something new, there is something more than just submission to the law and trying to gather for ourselves enough star stickers to feel good about ourselves. And we have this Jesus who comes to, yes, see our sin, but then to save. That Jesus is a great joy. And we receive that authority with great joy. The people received it with great joy and with great awe. Now, for us, for us, if we want to speak with authority, all right, we need to follow the same rules. All right, first, speak scripture, not the opinions of yourself or the opinions of other people. Don't give people a bunch of wisdom of the world. If you speak with Scripture, it will always have authority. Second, all right, speak without fear of insulting, fear of condemning, because that, that is oftentimes the truth. But if you're going to talk like that, you need to recognize that you are going to condemn yourself. And that's okay. But if you're going to tell people about how sinful they are, you better be ready to, to admit that you're just as sinful. Otherwise, you're a Pharisee. And you're condemning them, but you're not willing to be condemned yourself. All right? If you're going to speak with authority, you have to be willing to say, you know, yeah, and that applies to me too. Now, finally... What are you giving people ultimately? If you're going to have any authority, you give them Jesus. You don't give them yourself. You don't give them your righteousness. You give them a Savior who has authority to say, yes, I forgive your sins and I've washed you clean. If you want authority, you need to get it not from yourself, but from Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. Now, now Jesus could, could, could say all that. Words are cheap. And so Jesus comes and he backs it up. He backs it up by, uh, by clashing with the kingdom of darkness. Verse, 30, verse 23. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. All right, this is interesting. Because now we have this one who's claiming all this authority and then... The authority of the kingdom of darkness comes and enters the synagogue immediately afterwards. And we see, okay, can he back this up? Can he back up his authority of his teaching with actual power? And this demon cries out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, demons, they tend to have pretty good theology. Oddly enough. All right, when he, said, when he says this, Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God, uh, that's a pretty decent description, actually. Uh, even the humanity and the divinity here. Jesus calls himself Jesus of Nazareth. That's where he grew up. The Holy One of God. That's a great description. And this is a fair question. 
Have you come to destroy us? And Jesus says, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And all were amazed as they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? Now Jesus encounters the the kingdom of darkness. And what does he do? He has victory over it. That at a word, this demon is silenced. He says, come out of him, and the demon comes out. And that's where we see, okay, Jesus came as the authoritative king, and he came to have victory over evil and the domain of darkness and Satan himself and all of his little minions. He has authority, and he uses it to defeat the kingdom of darkness on our behalf. That's the beauty of the authority of Jesus. And when we hear that, I hope that we say, thank God that Jesus has authority. Because we do not have power to stand against the kingdom of darkness. But Jesus does. Now we see this weird statement here. Yeah. Uh, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, demons, uh, when they possess someone, uh, it's fundamentally a suffering problem there. It's fundamentally a suffering problem. They didn't do anything wrong. It's not because of a sin struggle of theirs. Uh, They are suffering by oppression and slavery, and Jesus comes to give freedom. I just want to make sure that's clear. He doesn't, he doesn't cast out sin. All right, but to draw a parallel here, I think every single non-Christian who is content in their sin, and every Christian who's content in his sin, has this same question of Jesus and says, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. that the sin inside of us, the sin that corrupts our hearts, it is, it is fundamentally demonic and of a kingdom of darkness. And we can kind of echo these same words sometimes when we say, you know what, Jesus, have you come to, to destroy my life? Have you come to take the things that I cherish? Have you come to take the things that I love? Are you going to destroy me? as you come and be a king. And we have to be honest when our hearts are like that. And when we see things like these great commandments that Jesus gives, and we say, you know, that sounds more like death than it sounds like life. We're going to see those commandments throughout Mark. Jesus' authoritative teaching includes some of these things. And I want to remind us, that Jesus comes in his authority to give life and to give freedom. And if these things sound like death to us, if his commandments, if his, his destruction of evil and the kingdom of darkness within our own hearts makes us cry out, have you come to destroy us? 
We have to trust that he is the one who loves us and cares for us and look back to this story and say, Jesus doesn't come to destroy us. He comes to free us from the kingdom of darkness. And we ought to receive this authority with great joy that whatever it feels like, even if it means us being thrown to the ground, screaming that evil is being taken out of our hearts, if we are convulsing from the core because of it, we still say, you know, this is for my freedom and for my good. We trust you, Jesus. We trust your authority. We love you. And we receive you as king. These are hard battles. But when Jesus comes with authority, he comes to set us free. Now we have one, one final kind of proof of Jesus' authority here. He comes and performs the first miraculous healing. Verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And, she, and uh, immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her. And she began to serve him. All right, once again, a test of Jesus' authority. This time, not the kingdom of darkness, but the fallen kingdom of the world. Creation that had fallen. And the question is, okay, if you are the king, what do you do with a fallen creation? What do you do with a creation that is corrupted by, by sin? And Jesus comes, and without a single word, he's able to deliver out of this fallen condition, deliver out of suffering and illness and restore the mother-in-law so she can get back to her Jewish mothering. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is where, this is a, this is a rather apt uh, discussion. Jesus as the one who heals illness and has victory over sickness and that's where we have to figure out, okay, what do we do with Jesus in this? Because, okay, we're in the midst of coronavirus, and we say, okay, we have a king who is a healer. And we have a king who is king over fallen creation, who can restore it, and does. Now, what does that then mean for our response to going out into a world that is filled with coronavirus? Now, we could say, well, he's king. And if he's king, then I'm immune. Now, I, I had this friend, uh, he had this logic, and he was like, you know what, uh, God has appointed a time of death for me, and there's nothing I can do to, to, to get by it. And so I can do whatever I want. And so what was he going to do? He, he says this before, like, barreling down a hill. And we're like, I don't know if you should run down this. And he's like, I, I'm immune. It doesn't matter. He runs like 10 feet in. He steps in a gopher hole, totally like busts up his ankle. And we all, it's not how it works. Okay? Yes, you're immune. You can still be dumb. <laughs> and that's the reality of how we think about these things. That yes, you can go out into the world and, and trust in a king who is healer and who is victorious 
when it comes to illness, and you could be really foolish, and you could get coronavirus. All right, there's no promises of immunity. Just like, okay, Jesus is, is victorious over the demons. All right, it doesn't mean you should bust out your Ouija board and go, go practice your, your Wiccan rituals. All right, no, that would be equally silly. All right, there's just foolishness. And that's where we can over-spiritualize this stuff and miss the fact that, okay, when Jesus came, he came to give us a foretaste of the kingdom that is to come. A foretaste of it. He was bringing it in part and giving us a picture of heaven when he will dwell with us once again. Now, he is not, he has not eliminated all suffering. He has not eliminated all darkness and all evil. He has not eliminated all illness, and he has not promised to do that for us. Now, what has he promised? He has promised that when he return, those things will be destroyed. That sickness and sorrow and death will be no more. He has promised that the kingdom of darkness will be utterly wiped out and justice will be executed. And he has said that even though suffering is still present, to treat him as the king. That though there is suffering, treat him as the highest authority. And so we say, you know what? Is it dangerous to go minister to the Wiccan and the spiritualists and the the one who would curse us, and yeah, but we do it anyway because we, have a, we serve a king who in the end is going to be victorious over those things. And he is going to, in the end, be victorious over all illness and death. And he says, you know what? Serve me, not your fear. Serve me first. Serve me before you serve those things because I have authority and in the new heavens and the new earth, you will see that authority. And it will wash over you, and you'll see the goodness that I'm bringing. So, what do we do with all this? What do we do with all this? All right, we don't. We don't doubt Jesus' goodness and rebel against his authority and doubt it, we don't. Foolishly and carelessly kind of flaunt our own authority and say, you know what, I'm, I'm immune, or maybe I can go heal and I can go, I can go cast out demons and I'm going to go run off and into the darkness. No, what did the people do? What is the, the reasonable reaction? Verse 32, the people go to Jesus. They go to Jesus in his authority. That evening at sundown, they brought him. All who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So look at the people. They, they delight in the authority of Jesus. They delight in this one who had come 
and they go to be healed, and they gather others who are sick and who are oppressed and who are suffering, and they bring them to Jesus. That's why I call us to go to Jesus. Go to Jesus in his authority and delight in being in that, under that authority. Because we can run away. We can run away and we can, we can break down the gates and get away from him, or we can, we can flock to him. And as we flock to him, we are invited to bring other people with us. That all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. If Jesus has great authority, let's bring people under that authority. Let's invite them to delight in Jesus as we delight in him. Let's invite people to be freed from suffering and freed from death and free from sin and entering into this kingdom that is to come. Because ultimately, what did Jesus do? In all of his heavenly authority, in all of his eternal kingship, he came down, and as we saw in the call to worship, all of the iniquity of the world was put upon him. He bore our sufferings, and he took them to the cross, and he suffered in our place. That is the beauty of our Savior. Let's delight in that authority that he used to save us and to bring us into a, a fully redeemed and renewed world. Amen? Any questions? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he was a king who came to suffer with and suffer for us, his people. And Father, we are astounded at the goodness of Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that we might receive his authority, we might receive his teaching. Father, we confess that we are greater sinners than we know and then we can never comprehend. Father, that our, our hearts are desperately sick. We, we can't even understand our own hearts, for they are darkened by sin, and yet you came to save, to give us new hearts, to change us. Father, we ask that we might delight in the ways that you free us from evil and from slavery, Father, would you help us to see your authority in that light and to not kick against the, the goads, Father, that we would not run from you, but we run to you. And Father, would you bring your kingdom quickly? Would you bring it that we would see the new heavens and the new earth spread out before us, that every tear would be wiped, that every sorrow would be removed, that every enemy would be cast out, that we may enjoy you fully in perfect heavenly bliss forever. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name.